Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. As the year 2021 draws to a close, we thought it would be interesting and informative to geek out on the weather events that impacted the United States in the year 2021. And we have a unique set of guests. Our guests are the Weather Geeks Meteorologists. As you may know, this is a show done for and by meteorologists. And today I am joined by some of the Weather Geeks Meteorologists that bring you the show every week. Let's geek out on the 2021 weather. Well, this is really exciting. Uh, I'm gonna let our Weather Geeks panelists for today introduce themselves. I'm gonna start with Josh Vexler. Well, I'm the only non-meteorologist, non-scientist here. <laughs> um, yeah, but he's a key part of Weather Geeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm part of the Weather, weather Geek. Um, this, uh, I, I'm the booker. I'm the network booker, Weather Channel network booker, and I also get to, to work with you and, and talk to some really, uh, really fantastic people. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really, really been amazing, and we appreciate what you do for the show, Josh. Uh, let's next go to Sarah Dillingham. Hi. Well, yeah, um, I was uh, previously with the Weather Geek team for a couple of years. Um, I'm a former senior weather producer at the Weather Channel um, and just recently, as you guys know, um, came online with uh, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. Um, there I'm serving as a, or here I should say, <laughs> serving as senior director for product design. Um, so we're kind of um, helping to communicate the great research that we're doing in our lab uh, to help uh, build stronger structures for both residential and commercial groups and um yeah obviously with the the weather that we've had as of late uh, that's been a big focus so uh so yeah i'm happy to join you guys for for a wrap-up and see the team again yeah um, um, an amazing amazing job sarah has done over the last couple of years with other geeks all aspects of the of the show that you hear uh, and and now she's passed the baton i believe on to jd Nishiru. and so jd why don't you come on and again after we do the intros we're going to dive right into the 2021 recap but i want to start with the severe weather uh in december but before that jd tell us a little bit about you so uh i have been at the weather channel for about a year and a half now uh, i'm a current senior weather producer and then uh, also work on the weather underground programming uh, for the Weather Channel as well. Before the Weather Channel, I did 15 years on air, bouncing around the country as a lot of people in the broadcast uh, side of our profession do. So, but Atlanta's always been home for me. I was, you know, one of the few who's born and raised here. So, um, you know, it was just time to come back home. It's getting a little later in life, be with family, and so that's what brought me to the Weather Channel, and eventually uh, to the Weather Geeks family, where Sarah has been mentoring me over the past year, and then kind of handed over the baton now that she has. Uh, uh, gone to the next chapter in her life. So uh, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. And I'm a uh, shout out to a fellow native Georgian. I was born and raised in the Atlanta area as well. And I know Sarah's <laughs> a native Georgian as well from Dalton, Georgia. So uh, Josh, we, we, we're, you're an honorary native Georgian, I guess, if you weren't born here. Moved here when I was two. So that's well, close enough. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> close well, let, let's get right into this. We're, we're recording this in mid-December and literally a few days that uh, we're going to reflect on the entire year in terms of the weather events and impactful weather and your thoughts. 
I'm going to start with Sarah because I know she actually has quite a bit of expertise in tornadoes. She did her master's degree work at one of the top uh, universities studying tornadoes. We saw the uh, tornado activity in the Mid-South in the weekend prior to us taping this. Sarah, what are your initial thoughts on that event? Gosh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, if I had to pick a word, you know, heartbreaking, right? I mean, you know, we know, um, you know, from our time at the Weather Channel, we've covered, you know, countless severe weather events. And, you know, you always remember the big ones, right? I mean, a, a lot of them are uh, impactful on ways, but then there are the big ones like the 2011s and the Joplin's. And now you're going to hear the Mayfield tornado and the, um, the outbreak of mid-December um, that, going to be one for the record book. So, you know, the devastation that we've seen is is far reaching. I mean, it, it's complete in some towns. Um, and just to know what's going on right now, I mean, you're not only just trying to still eventually pick up the pieces of your life, but I mean, we're still searching for survivors and, you know, unfortunately, those who are, are still missing. So, um, just a tragic event, um, you know, in the South, we're in mid South, you know, we're not really a stranger to cold season tornado events. It's something that they, uh, over the years, we've uh, really started to, you know, kind of expect that that was a possibility. Um, but an event to this magnitude and this scale, um, we're certainly not used to, uh, in any time of the year, uh, this was a bad one. Yeah. JD, I know you are there at the weather channel and you were, you produced some of the shows, uh, how, how early on were, were you at the Weather Channel talking about the possibility of this event? Because from the perspective of a warning, I, I, I wrote about this in Forbes uh, a couple of days out. I know the Weather Service, SPC had outlooks out. There were warnings out. Um, what, what is your perspective on how, how uh, much time in advance uh, you were all give, were giving at the Weather Channel? Uh, we were talking about it days in advance as well and kind of following the story as it came through because when the SBC out, put out their outlook, um, I, I believe it was a slight risk of severe weather a few days out. So we were, we were talking about it uh, at that point as well. And I do believe because when we were following the system as it was moving from the west to the east, you know, even uh, I think I recall Dr. Nab was looking at it one day and it was on air. He was doing one of his expert segments and he was showing the potential um, for that severe weather to come up because we had so much warm air ahead of the front. We just kind of had all the ingredients. And I believe someone had said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets upgraded, you know, down the line. And sure enough, it did. The closer we got to the event, you know, we went from a slight to an enhanced risk. And then we went from enhanced to a moderate risk on the day of. So there were several days where we were kind of following it all leading up to the event itself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yet with this event, still tragic loss of life. Um, Josh, I know you have been likely uh, fielding guests and talking with people, interacting with the Weather Channel. Uh, this was really a cross societal event in the sense that there were people uh, that lost their lives working in the Amazon uh, Fulfillment Center, uh, I believe in a candle factory and in homes and businesses. I mean, as someone that's sort of looking at this landscape at the Weather Channel from your, your lens, uh, what, what, what strikes you about this particular story? I think in particular with tornadoes for some reason, but th this one, um, it's, it's really the, you know, you get all these briefings from the officials and everything, but there are some really um, heartwarming and heartbreaking stories that come out of this. Uh, I mean, you see uh, stories of, you know, pictures being strewn a, a hundred miles away 
and the being, you know, family seeing the pictures of, of loved ones that have been lost. Uh, the, I know there are a couple of people who have just packed up grills and gone to Mayfield to help, um, you know, feed people and, and music though there there's a community feel that when I'm, when I'm looking at this, these are the people that we're looking to talk to. Um, you know, we, we have the science, we know the officials are gonna, you know, put something out there, but it's, you know, how the community really comes together that I think really, you know, humanizes a, you hear the Amazon building collapse and, oh, that's awful. But when you hear the actual stories, I think it really helps hit home what it is we're dealing with. Yeah, and all of you are at the Weather Channel, and so you 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 have a role of communicating. I actually had someone tweet me today. I mean, literally, as we're taping this on December fifteenth, there's another thread of weather, and I know uh, JD is actually multitasking as he's taping the show and sort of keeping his eye on planning for today's events. But I had someone tweet me this morning, and like, what are the differences between enhanced and slight? Uh, someone said I actually find that more confusing confusing than weather. Uh, uh, watch versus warning. And I, I tend to agree. Uh, I, I think people, you know, when they see, you know, you, you know, you heard JD talk about, you know, we were in slight and enhanced and marginal. I mean, this is meteorological lingo. How do you all at the Weather Tramp Channel uh, bridge that gap in terms of uh, communicating and trying to make this reasonable to people that may be listening or watching? JD, I'll come to you first. Well, I think one of the things that we do here, and I've done it at other stations that I've worked at as well, is you try and simplify the scale. So we have, you know, we have marginal, slight, enhanced, moderate, high. When we're talking meteorologist to meteorologist, we all know what that means. But when you're talking to a viewer, you're right. It absolutely does get lost in the shuffle. You know, is it enhanced more than slight? Where does everything kind of come in? So I think what a lot of times we'll try and do is put it on a scale. So, you know, we'll tell you that, you know, we have a marginal risk for severe weather today. That's a one out of five. You know, you have the slight risk. That's a two out of five, enhanced three out of five and so on. And so you get to a high risk, which is extremely rare. I think when you can put numbers, you know, and, you know, we're just a scale to things that kind of helps, especially when you can see and imagine like, oh, this is the three out of five. Today's a four out of five. And in fact, while we're recording this, that's what we're uh, trying to plan for is today is a moderate risk. That is a four out of five on that severe weather scale. And that tells you, oh, we really need to pay attention to this particular weather today because things could get very real and very damaging in a very quick amount of time. So I think that's one of the ways we do it is we actually just put a number to that. That's a lot easier to understand. Yeah, I think that's right. And we are society used to hearing numbers, whether it be the Saffir Simpson scale or so forth. Sarah, let's geek out on the meteorology a little bit because, you know, we do get tornadoes in December. It's, we don't have a tornado season in the same way that we have a hurricane season. Uh, we know that we can have they're they're somewhat rare in December, but they do happen. I recall other outbreaks. Um, meteorologically, what what's going on, Sarah? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, with this particular event that we had uh, last week, um, you had um, a large area of warm air. We had above average temperatures um, in the eastern half of the U.S., uh, particularly in the southeast and mid south, uh, where you had dew points that were in the 60s and 70s. That's not something that you typically see this late in the year. Wow. Um, that is more like a, right? I mean, that's more like a mid, mid spring type event. And often in these cool seasons, uh, you know, we'll, we have something called like high shear low cape environments where you will get the strong upper level trough to dig down uh, over a region. Um, you have a lot of wind shear, but you don't often have 
the Gulf moisture return that can then lead to um, plenty of moisture to generate thunderstorms and that warmth as well. So you get that instability that we talk about, you know, that uh, very warm, moist air closer to the surface. And then when you get these upper troughs come overhead, they bring the cold air aloft. So that creates that imbalance vertically, which we call that atmospheric instability. So in this particular case, we had a strong upper level trough that was bringing an incredible amount of shear on the the winds at about 5,000 feet, um, which is kind of like that zero to one kilometer um, area that we talk about. I mean, the shear values were insane. We had 60 to 70 knot winds at 5,000 feet. And so they not only changed in speed with height, they changed in direction with height. And it is that speed shear. Shear is just a, a change, right, in, in wind speed or direction. Well, we had both. And for tornadoes, that's what you need. You need a change um, in both wind speed and direction as you go higher up in the atmosphere. So. Uh, when you couple that environment with the uh, amounts of instability, um, one of those measures that we call, you know, as meteorologists know, is called CAPE, uh, which stands for Convective Available Potential Energy. And those values are around 2,000 to 2,300 joules per kilogram, which is, um, you know, that's moderate to high instability in those areas. So it was just a region prime for that. And with the instability that we had, you were able to see these updrafts sustained for long periods of time and ended up with long track supercells and in this case, some of those long track supercells, particularly the one that went through Mayfield and other areas, um, stretched on for you know more than 200 miles. And it's these long lived supercells and thus this one created a long lived tornado uh, or possibly tornadoes as well, right? We're still doing the damage surveys to find out if we're gonna have one continuous tornado or multiple tornadoes within this supercell. But either way, we know that these tornadoes were strong and devastating. Dr. Marshall Shepard, and we're talking with the Weather Geeks meteorologist and former Weather Geeks meteorologist, uh, Sarah Dillingham uh, and J.D. Disharoon. And we also have uh, Josh Fexler of the Weather Channel, who's uh, very much part of the Weather Geeks uh, team as well. Josh, um, again, I mentioned, you know, one of the stories here is the, um, you know, activity we, we focus on telling people in their homes not to rely on sirens completely because they're for outdoor warnings. And we ask people to think about what they do in these cases where a tornado may happen at night. One, I wrote about uh, the worst case scenario aspects of this. They were nocturnal tornadoes, and we know that those are a problem. Uh, I often argue that people have a night plan. plan. I wrote an article uh, a couple of months ago talking about brush your teeth and check the weather or something to that effect. Um, and then we also know there's a particularly long track in some cases as well. I think the National Weather Service is still doing their assessment. Um, you're someone that works at the Weather Channel, so I probably shouldn't ask this question this way because I, you know, because I know we often as meteorologists tend to run to the windows when there's this type of weather. But uh, in an organization like the Weather Channel or others, I mean, what 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 do you do or what when you're in a work environment? And there's a threat. And I know there's been cases of this because I was actually at the Weather Channel one time taping a Weather Geeks television show and there was a threat. Um, we were mostly underground, as I recall, so I think we were pretty safe. But uh, what are your thoughts on how we react in workplace environments? Well, I think, you know, the Weather Channel is unique in a lot of ways, not just, you know, we know if something's coming. There's nobody else I'd rather be around. Um, and, you know, uh, our main studio is underground. So there, there are places for us. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak for too many other places, but I know for me and knowing that's general safety net that I have, I always think about, okay, where's my family and con connecting with them. I know as meteorologists, you get this, 
way more than I do. But if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me if it was going to rain or storm or whatever, I mean, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. I, I, my wife actually jokes with me that I know what's going on in Minnesota more than I do in Atlanta <laughs> because my job is to look uh, countrywide. So anyway, I, I, you know, there needs to be a I, I would think there needs to be a routine, like you said, for us, it's. Uh, draw the bath for the kids and look at the weather for the you know the night and the next day to see how to dress them. But that's that's us. Um, you know, I, I we've talked a lot about how um, to flash and other companies that are advocating for better building codes. So I think that's that's where companies need to lean is make sure there's a safe place and you know you're protecting people that way. Um, and of course, send out aware alerts if if there are any. Yeah. And I, before we go to the break, I did want to just touch on and if anyone else has anything to add to this, there's been a lot of discussion out there. And I, I've been fielding calls left and right about, oh, did climate change cause these tornadoes or what's the role of climate change? And of course, that question is going to come up. But I mean, I want to caution that um, the observed trends that we've mostly seen in tornadoes is in the last 30 years is because of better observation capabilities, Doppler radar, dual polar radar. Uh, having said that, there are some research uh, studies by people like Victor Gensini and Walker Ashley and Tom Moat and various others that have talked about the environment uh, that by which uh, we might have conducive uh, severe weather in the future and uh, changes in shear and stability that Sarah was talking about earlier. Uh, I would caution, though, there are not many studies out there in the peer-reviewed literature that show a direct connection between tornadoes and climate change at this time. I, I was on a National Academy study that sort of affirmed that convective weather has the least amount of conclusive understanding right now as it relates to climate change. We have much more understanding of the linkages between, say, drought and extreme rainfall and so forth. So again, just want to caution there as you hear that discussion does not mean we will not ultimately find connections and more conclusive links, but that I just want to kind of be a little cautious there. And if anybody else has anything that to sort of throw in there, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, otherwise, uh, one last thing, Sarah, your organization that you currently are with is thinking about some of these things that Josh just mentioned about building codes and building structures. Tell us a little bit more about what you all are up there to there. Yeah, so um, here at the lab, um, we have a large test chamber. This is kind of the research arm um, of IBHS. In uh, here, we're basically building full-scale models of homes um, and testing to see how they withstand various perils. Um, wind is obviously one of those. Wind-driven rain as relates to hurricanes is another. Um, hail, we do a lot of testing with uh, roof impacts and how um, various roof coverings can hold up, particularly asphalt shingles, which are on the uh, majority of homes. Um, but what we do, the reason we do this is we kind of look and say like, okay, if we're doing all this stuff to these structures built to a certain specification, certain code or standard, um, how do they hold up against these various threats? Um, you know, one, one thing that we have done research on here in the past and we've noticed in some of the tornado damage that we've seen is garage door failures. And what that does is that is just a pathway for wind to get into the home. You guys have probably heard one of those old rise tales about, oh, and the tornado is coming open all the windows to release the pressure. It's not what oh. you want to do at all, right? You're like screaming, no. Um, but right, yeah, you, you want to keep the wind out of your home because keeping the wind out of your home means that you're not having those pressures being exerted on structure on, on the structure interior, um, on the interior of the structure. So you want to keep the wind out. Um, and so when you have these weakened pathways where the wind can get in, 
then that's when we can start to see um, larger failures uh, within the home, whether it be the walls and then the roof, um, that kind of thing. So, so you know, when, when we look at this kind of damage, you know, we can see, right, how uh, widespread the devastation is and how extensive. However, we do still have to wait for those ground crews to get in there and really do the research and dig into how these structures were um, built um, to what codes. Kentucky actually has pretty good codes. They're actually pr um, pretty up to date, um, but it's the age of some of that infrastructure that the codes may have been different when some of these were built. So that's what the Weather Service um, and engineers are going to be doing in the coming days and weeks as they survey this damage to see how are these particular structures constructed um, and, and, you know, how did they hold up and where could some of those failures have been. So until we get that ground truth, um, you know, all we're doing is just speculating about ratings, right? So um, like you just, you know, cautioned about climate, that's also one of those things as far as, you know, how did the damage occur? What was the intensity? It may not have been a five. We, it may have been. We just don't know yet. So um, that will bear out in the coming weeks. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with weather geeks, weather uh, aficionados, weather experts, professionals. Uh, these are the meteorologists uh, and, and professionals behind the Weather Geeks podcast, but they know the topic. And so we are reflecting on the 2021 year from a weather perspective. We spent a good time in that first block on uh, recent tornadoes. I want to now shift to another significant aspect of 2021, and that was the hurricane season. Uh, another record hurricane season for the first time in human history, back-to-back -back hurricane seasons where we used all of the names. Uh, in 2021, we didn't go into the new supplemental list. We got rid of the Greek names this year, but we didn't have to use the new supplemental list. We did in 2020. Before that, we hadn't done that, that until 2005. Obviously, the big hurricane was Hurricane Ida and its remnants in New York. I want to get each of your thoughts from your perspectives on the hurricane season. J.D., we'll start with you. Um, for me, it was really, and I think for a lot of us here at the Weather Channel, uh, it was the tale of two seasons because it was a very active period uh, at one point in time. And then it was almost just like, we cut the faucet off. It was just like, we're done now. Um, and there was no gradual tapering off. There was no like, okay, we got a lot of storms now, medium amount, a low amount. No, we were just done. And so I think that was kind of unusual for us. And I, I think with the other thing that was unusual, particularly uh, when talking about Ida and those impacts uh, into the Northeast is just, you know, how many people were affected, but also how many people were caught off guard um, and it really kind of goes to show that we still have a long way to go in terms of messaging for people who don't live near the Gulf Coast or don't live near the Atlantic Coast in terms of the southern end of it uh, to, to tell them that these messages are coming through because we did have. Uh, you know, we had wording in the flash flood watches and in the WPC outlooks for that day that said this is going to be a significant situation we had a high risk in the WPC outlook that day and then to still lose so many people 
during that event so far away from where the storm made landfall really goes to show you that our messaging really needs to get better. And we've got to get these people who don't live near hurricane prone areas, so to speak, to pay attention to these storms as well. And I think that's what really struck me about Ida in particular, but also, you know, around the hurricane season as a whole, because Fred went into the Northeast, you know, we, we had several systems affect the Northeastern United States this year. So it's, it goes to show you, it's not just one storm. Like this can happen. This is an area that needs to pay attention to these storms. And I think with the way that we're trending in terms of hurricane activity, this is something we need to pay attention to, especially yeah, Josh, Josh, as we're going forward thoughts? in time. Uh, you know, I experience hurricane season a lot differently than these guys do. Um, it's I, I, I'm talking to emergency managers a lot. Um, and, and JD is 100 percent right. Even even in hurricane prone areas, uh, I constantly hear from emergency managers about how they are always looking for new ways to to communicate. And do I have any ideas? And uh, and, and I got a lot of that in the Northeast. I think, you know, New York City Emergency Management, uh, I, I am a fan of an, as an organization. Um, but I know that they thought that they were doing a good job. And clearly we we lost a lot. Um, uh, and, you know, Ida, it was the, the Ida struck me most because I was on the phone with the the uh, police chief for uh, Grand Isle when they lost communication. Now I knew they were in a safe place and I mean, it's, you know, highly rated, um, but it was just, I was on the phone talking to the man when it cut out and it was just, it was a little bit heavier. Um, and I think we saw that in the fact that we couldn't communicate with anybody there for so long. Yeah. So I, I experienced it a lot from that emergency manager side and, and seeing how difficult that communication is and also how difficult it is to provide the relief once that storm has passed. Right. That's a great point. Sarah, your thoughts on the hurricane season, Ida, and anything else related? Yeah. Um, and, and I'll kind of bring in uh, last hurricane season as well, which was also um, quite busy, a busy sun record. Um, you know, the last two years, um, you know, we've seen a lot of extreme events, right? We've seen like high-end events. You know, we had several storms last year that rapidly intensified and did so prior to landfall. So they were hitting at maximum intensity, whether it be on the Yucatan Peninsula, like a couple of storms did last year, or on the southeastern United States, which some did last year, and then Ida did this year as well. I mean, I remember waking up and I'm getting chills now thinking about like when I woke up that morning, because we, we kept saying it, right? We were like, the atmosphere is primed for Ida to potentially strengthen. It's going to happen. We're just, we're waiting it out, right? We're just letting the clock tick by. It's going to happen probably. And we wake up to worst fear realized, you know, and the sun rises to this massive, almost annular hurricane, category five, you know, near, you know, approaching category five status headed right for Louisiana, um, which is, you know, it, that southeastern United States is very vulnerable to storm surge. And when you see these magnitudes of storms coming through that can bring a lot of water and wind impacts and heavy rainfall, you know, that just kind of gives you a pit in your stomach. And, you know, you hate to be covered in flight. And it's, it's tough, right? You're fascinated by the meteorology of it all. But at the same time, you know that this is really not good for what's about to happen. And this year and last year, we saw what happens when you have infrastructure that may or may not be prepared to withstand these kinds of extreme events. We've seen extreme events on the rise, right? And just like 
you know, the numbers of billion-dollar disasters we've seen in the last few years, you know, we just keep seeing a lot each year. And these disasters that cost over at least a billion dollars. And, you know, in a place like New York City, you know, we saw what it's like to have a high-end event that should not occur with much frequency, but a very high-end event over a high populated, highly populated area. And when those two things meet and you're not built to withstand, you know, and I hesitate to say built to withstand that, but you're not used to that, right? You don't know how to handle an event like that. It's hard to plan for something you've never seen before. Right. And I think that's what people are struggling with. They're like, we didn't know it was going to be this bad because we haven't really seen it be that bad in a place like New York City before. Sandy was the closest corollary. So it's very difficult going into, you know, each of these hurricane seasons and even, you know, weather in general, right? Because we just see these things happen more and more. uh, And then we just see the devastation that occurs afterwards. So like, you know, JD and Josh mentioned with messaging, we still have a lot of work to do. The forecasts are are pretty good as far as tracks are concerned. Intensity we still struggle with, as we know, because you have a lack of observations over open oceans in that regard. Um, but yeah, we're working to make progress, but we, we still have a long way to go. And I think that's apparent each time we have these events. Yeah, absolutely. On this very podcast, Louis Uccellini, director of the outgoing director of the National Weather Service said, we, we, we could forecast the amount of rain, but we're not used to forecasting three inches of rain in one hour in New York City, which is what we saw. These are anomaly events. So I think we all at times can have normalcy biases where we're sort of say, well, I've seen these types of things. We haven't, a lot of what we're seeing now, we haven't seen. And, and so, it, it does create a, a challenge for us. Um, I, I've often said we've got to have a new playbook. I mean, when we think about Ida, I know the governor and the mayor in New Orleans and others are struggling with how, um, you know, what are the call for mandatory evacuations and they need 48 hours, 72 hours. I've been told by some of those emergency managers and folks that Josh talked about. Um, the reality is we may be in an era where we're going to see more of these rapidly intensifying storms, you know, and you wake up to a cat four, went to bed to a cat one. And so I just think we have to think about a new playbook. Uh, anything else? And again, uh, I, I think the points you made about uh, these events far from the coast are important. Anyone, anything else in the hurricane season catcher? I know one thing that caught my eye is that you had Ida in the Gulf region and the year before you had Laura and you had several other um, storms in the Gulf region over the last two years, but just two, the magnitude of Laura and Ida alone back to back to me was astounding. Any other things that catch your eye about the 2021 hurricane season beyond the fact that it was as predicted busy uh, and we had a very high impact event in Ida, but there were some other events that I think JD or someone mentioned that were also cumulatively a problem, but any other final thoughts on the hurricane season? I think it was uh, we did a poll on Weather Underground uh, a few weeks before this was recorded. So we're talking um, mid-November, right before the hurricane season ended. And granted, this is an unscientific poll of Twitter users. So keep that in mind here. But we asked our viewers, you know, how would you rate this hurricane season? And we gave them options. Was it underwhelming, as expected, or was it overwhelming? And the vast majority actually said underwhelming. So I think we need to also realize that the public's perception of this isn't the same as ours. So we're looking at, we ran out of names on the list. We didn't have to go to the new one, but we ran out of names. It was well above average. We had all these storms, but I think for a lot of our viewers, a lot of these were quote unquote sea storms. They didn't affect land. They were out in the Atlantic and yes, they helped push us to the record numbers, but the public didn't care about it. 
And so because of that, the public Man. looked at this season and went, eh, yeah. even the, even though we had a category four hurricane slam into the Gulf coast to make its way up, you know, into new England, even though we had several storms make landfall earlier in the season, the public's perception at the end of it yeah. was okay. It happened. So I think that was a very interesting way of looking at it and seeing the, you know, the difference between what meteorologists yeah, really see and what the general public sees. Any, any other thoughts there? Yeah, uh, just to wrap that up, um, you know, it's like Dr. Nab always says, and we've talked about this for years on the Weather Channel and every meteorologist that covers these kinds of events, you know, busy doesn't necessarily mean a lot of landfall. Busy means a lot of storms. Impactful means something different, right? You can have a quiet season that is very impactful. Hurricane Andrew, first storm was the A storm in August, and that was one of the only big storms that year really but it was andrew so it was a impactful hurricane season in that regard all in all it might not have been busy but it was impactful so that's why we always promote you know the it only takes one for you to have a bad hurricane season so it's like like jd said perception isn't always reality in that regard Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Sarah Dillingham, Josh Fexler, and J.D. Disharoon uh, from the Weather Geeks team and formerly of the Weather Geeks team about the 2021 weather season I want to now just reflect on some high impact events that we heard a lot about in 2021, one of which was so far back, it almost feels like it wasn't this year with the big winter weather event in Texas and parts of the South. I mean, early in the winter. Uh, also, we've had, I think the lingo has introduced um, something to the public that perhaps we as meteorologists knew about atmospheric rivers. We heard quite a bit about those this year. And of course, the West uh, continued to uh, suffer with drought. We had a significant heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. So I want to talk about all of those events today. I want to start with the event this winter in Texas uh, and in parts of the mid uh, Southeast, because we saw a polar vortex, quote unquote, event uh, with an extreme cold event uh, that disrupted power and water supply uh, caused outages. It's what we are now talking about as a compound event. I mean, you've got this extreme weather event that has a compound effects. Josh, I want to come to you on this one, because this is an event where we saw large populated areas of the United States literally without power for days in some cases and without water. Um, you know, what do you what do you see as the implication as we move into an era where you know the weather events are themselves tragic and hazardous enough in the loss of life and infrastructure, but then they have these sustained impacts. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I think a lot of people tend to forget those sustained impacts. Um, I mean, we're still talking about parts, uh, you know, what needs to change in Texas to fix that problem. 
Um, and, uh, you know, not specific to Texas or, or any one uh, uh, type of disaster, but FEMA has hundreds of open offices still dealing with things, you know, I, I I could be wrong, but the last time I checked, there was even something still open for Hurricane Andrew. Just, you know, some some loose ends. But these are long lasting impacts. And I I experience it from talking to, OK, you know, how can we prevent the power outages? Is that uh, undergrounding lines or is it something else? Well, if we move to renewables and it's, you know, all these storms and the, the ice, um, I, I think you 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 nailed it. It's those lingering effects. It takes a while. I, you know, someone once joked that the mayor of uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, was going to be at Thanksgiving dinner because I was talking to him so often. Yeah, there were some the back-to-back storms, but there, you know, it was a month before they had the clean water, and they're working on this, and then they get it again, and. You know, it takes a while, both both structurally and, you know, emotionally for for the people living there. Yeah. And by the way, polar vortex, you know, I think people are familiar with that term now. We tend to get these really cold outbreaks in the U.S. when the polar vortex actually weakens and you get this sort of cold, dense air. I, I describe it like maple syrup or pancake syrup. It just literally oozes down into the United States. Uh, it's cold, dense air. It's that fence breaks and that cold air comes down. And so that's kind of what we saw uh, with that event as well. Sarah, Sarah, what are your thoughts on any of those events that I mentioned? Yeah, you know, the um, the, the winter event in, in the South, you know, that was that was quite unique, right? And it was one of those cases again where you have, you know, an extreme event. And like, oh, we've never seen this before. And it's like, well, it does get cold, right? It does get below freezing. But when you have temperatures that are that cold for that period of time, it's not really something that people are used to. Um, it's difficult to plan for that, right? Because it's not something that you can mentally prepare yourself for. I mean, you can talk about worst case scenario and think about it, but like actually thinking you know, actually having it come to pass and really believing that it could come to pass and preparing for such is difficult. Um, you know, and when we have these kinds of events, I mean, you know, honestly, we had such an expansive loss of life in that. And it's like, it wasn't just cold, it was deadly cold. And you had people that had no power, they had no other, there was no infrastructure that allowed them to find places with power. Everybody was without power. There were people that, elderly people that you know, didn't have the resources to get out and then unfortunately end up succumbing to the, to the cold. And, and even, you know, I believe there were some cases of some children who froze to death. And it, it is so tragic, you know, when you see this. And, you know, as a society, we've got to start forcing ourselves to think of what is the worst thing that could happen. And I know it's difficult, right, to, to plan for that. Um, but, it, you know, we talk about that when it comes to sheltering for tornadoes and severe weather and that kind of thing. It really, the best way to try to keep give yourself the most protection is to assume that every single time could be the one, like that tornado warning could be the one that really becomes impactful for you. That particular weather event could be the one that, you know, changes your, your, your life right now. So as much as we don't want to think about that, it is something that we do at least need to try to have in our minds and have a plan if this were to happen what are some things that we can do to try to lower our risk? Because that's that's what we're doing, right? Is trying to reduce our risk 
to these extreme weather events and understanding that they can happen to you. Let's identify some of the vulnerabilities and, you know, just say like, well, I don't have to prepare for that. That's never going to happen. Um, because in a place like Texas, it did, uh, in a place like New York, it did. Um, it, you know, we've just, we've just really got to start thinking about, um, trying to prepare that. And as we talk about here, you know, bending down our risk curve. Yeah. And I, I think this discussion highlights something that still catches people off guard. The number one killer from a weather perspective in the U S every year is extreme temperatures, uh, mm -hmm. hot or cold. And I think about the extreme heat and the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, uh, earlier in the year. And, you know, there were studies that sort of suggested that there was some DNA of climate change and not only that heat wave, but all the heat waves to come. So you had this extreme cold event in the winter. And again, we're talking about extremes. We're not talking about averages. People feel extremes. JD, your thoughts uh, on uh, the any of the extreme events that uh, we're sort of wrapping in this block right now? Uh, well, the the winter the cold in Texas, uh, took a personal note for me because I have family, uh, in the North Dallas Metro area and they were affected greatly by this. Uh, I have, uh, an aunt and two cousins in their, their families and all their friends out there that I've become friends with as well. And it was just, they were telling us, you know, it's not just the weather. It's what the weather is causing. We think of power outages and things like that, but they were telling me they had to go get food and they were waiting in line at the grocery stores for hours in the checkout line just to, you know, get the things that they needed for their family. And it, you know, it's a lot of things like that, that we don't think of in addition to what we're reporting about on air with terms of power outages, deaths, um, the actual temperatures, how long it's going to last when we can expect relief. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of social and human elements that go into these things as well. I think the other thing that struck me about this year um, was the fact that it, you know, in the hurricane season with Ida to go back to that, but, you know, it proved that if we spend the money on prevention, it saves us money in the long run, because we look at how many of these disasters, how many billion dollar disasters do we have every year? And that's on the increase as we've been looking as climate change and we're continuing to get these connections between these weather, you know, disasters and what's going on overall with our planet. But, you know, with Ida, we spent how many billions of dollars on updating the levee system around New Orleans and protecting it. And it got smacked by a Category 4 hurricane. And we did not see the images from southern Louisiana that we did after Katrina. There was still death. There was still devastation, but it was not on as much scale. So it, it really kind of showed us that. If we put our time and resources into preparing for these events in the long run, we will save money. Even if we are spending $13 billion on updating the system, compare that with how much, you know, Katrina cost us compare it to what these disasters are costing us on a yearly basis. And I think that's one of the things that I yeah, took away from I this. Think year. That's, that's a great point. Prior planning prevents poor performance. That's something that I always tell my kids. Uh, it doesn't always resonate when they listen to me, but it's certainly important for them to understand. Uh, but it really this year also is a juxtaposition of extremes. We talked about hot and cold, uh, but we also know that there was significant drought in the West this year. Uh, and then these atmospheric rivers, Josh, I wonder if you found yourself uh, fielding guests or talking to people about atmospheric rivers a lot more this year. It seemed like it was just in the lingo more. I've taught about them for years in my classes at the University of Georgia. 
Um, but atmospheric rivers, these narrow plumes of moisture that come off of the tropical Pacific and feed into the Western US, and they, they can account for up to 30% of the annual rainfall total. Uh, but yeah, then you have drought in those regions as well. And it's hard, sort of hard, but we saw both in the West. We saw water uh, supply uh, issues. Um, did you find yourself at the Weather Channel fielding these uh, conversations about water on both sides of the ledger too much or not enough? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And together. Um, and I actually went back because I've, I, you know, one of the best things for me is, well, I'm not a scientist or meteorologist. I get to learn about all these things from experts. So um, I, I learned a lot about atmospheric rivers this year. And I, I did, I, I checked back at previous years uh, since I've been at the Weather Channel and I only found two other guests focused on atmospheric rivers, or at least from the best I could tell from notes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. I've had conversations with people of, you know, how can, why can't we channel all the water that's coming from an atmospheric river to, you know, Arizona where they're dying for water, you know? Um, so it's, it's been, an, it's been a unique education and, you know, there are so many different things in meteorology that, that I, I are fascinating. Um, while I hate that it's being treated as, oh, this is something brand new and it's clearly not, I do like the education is being out there. So people can, it's, it's good for people to understand what is happening to them and why. Yeah. Um, Sarah, you, you have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, we talked about it a lot, of, we, right. We had a lot of extreme events, uh, extreme events in the U S this year, but you know, and I, I kind of want to go back to the, to the heat and the drought that we've seen in the West, um, you know, we saw all-time record heat uh, in Oregon, for example. Their hottest temperature by a long shot, by like eight or nine degrees, we beat our all-time record in a few days of ex this extreme heat. You know, and you and again, getting back to the infrastructure argument, right? There, there are some people there that still do not have air conditioning because it typically doesn't get that hot. So uh, again, it's one of those things that the more extreme weather that we're seeing, the more we're going to have to really start thinking about the unthinkable, right? To try to prepare for that. And you know, like you were talking about the um, the water crisis in the West, it's still going on, right? And we're still the good thing is, right? In, in this time of the year, we when we get these atmospheric rivers in regard to snowfall, the Sierra can be a big winner here, right? And I know that the forecasts have been talking about, you know, as maybe as much as six to eight feet of snowfall. That snowfall is like what um, we always refer to as kind of our savings bank um, going into the, the warmer months of the year because it is that snow runoff that becomes our water supplies. And I was kind of revisiting one of our former podcasts with um, Eric Kuhn about some of the water rights issues that we've had uh, with the Colorado River Basin. And we continue to see areas that are um, lower in water. Lake Mead has been struggling with uh, water supplies and before uh, earlier in the summer uh, in fall, we were worried about it literally getting so low that you cannot run the turbines at the dam. And so then you're going to have to start um, switching over to different sources of power to try to make up for that energy consumption that you're now or energy production that you're not going to be having possibly through the dam. So we had to really start getting into contingency plans and really thinking about how are we going to handle this? Because this population is going to need water. And that that is, you know, as we've gone further and further in the years and into seeing the impacts of climate change, water is kind of the new oil as far as precious resources is con are concerned because, you know, there are towns in South Africa and other places of the world that are already out of water. That is something that we have got to start putting in our minds here in the United States 
you know, one of the most prosperous countries in the world, we're having communities that are starting to get concerned about having enough water available. And that we have got to, we have got to understand that it can happen to us because when it does, we're going to have to be prepared and and have something, um, we're going to have to have a plan in place, right? This is a great point. And I, I know even in November, I saw Tanya Franzen, the meteorologist in charge in Glasgow, Montana, post something about the snowpack for at least for November was behind. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it'll ramp up. But up through November, it was a bit behind. And that that is, as you just noted, Sarah, future uh, water supply for people. Also, I've been looking at sort of the uh, one month, three month outlooks for December, January and February, and particularly here in December, as we approach the holiday season, uh, the peak of the holiday season, really warmer than normal in parts of the mid US and so forth. So just some really strange things. JD, want to give you the last sort of thoughts and word here as we start to wrap up. We actually may have lost JD because I know he's in the midst of um, Yo, he's he's back. I want I want to give you the last thoughts here oh, on this here we week go. out on today a year's weather. <laughs> you you know I think it's looking back on everything for me. I you know as a meteorologist I found it all very fascinating because as we've touched on, you know we had a lot of things this year that were anomalies in terms of not you know cold weather in the winter getting all the way down into texas we had a very active severe weather season uh lasting all the way until we're recording this into december we had a very active hurricane season and uh, you know we had a few moments this year where we got to have a little bit of a break in terms of meteorology where we you know so to speak had high pressure build in and uh but at the same time you know i think just based on my experiences in the past few years, uh, I think that this is what we're going to just be gearing ourselves up for as we go through the future. So I think we're going to have to just kind of steal ourselves and get ready for more years like this and just kind of keep going. So it's almost like 2021 yeah, was the test. One thing that so. I didn't do at the beginning of the podcast, but if, if you can, as we close out here, Sarah, Sarah, Josh and JD, give the listeners a little bit about, what's your background is. I know Josh is the non-meteorologist of the crew, but I know he's a fellow Florida Stater. So tell us where you did your studies and your background and where people can find you if you're on social media. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Josh, Josh, Sarah, and then JD. My my dad, that was a host paw paw there. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I'm I'm a fellow no. um, my, My background is actually in sports radio. Um, I, uh, I, as a little kid, I wanted to, my brother and I agreed that we would own the Yankees when we got bigger, got older, uh, clearly that didn't work out. So I decided to follow up on our second, uh, agreement, which is we would never wear a suit to work every day. And so I got into sports radio where I could wear shorts to work uh, a lot. Um, and then, uh, I'm, I, I grew up here in Atlanta and my you know, sports radio career took me all over the country, Denver, LA, Houston. Uh, and I came back here, um, back home to see, to be with family. And, uh, I, the weather channel is my favorite job that I've had in my career. It is, it's a lot of fun and I get to learn a lot. Yeah. I, yeah that's awesome. Sarah. Yeah. So, um, well, I've always loved weather, you know, even as a kid, um, it, it was funny my first impression with weather was I was scared of it. You know, when I was about five or six years old, 
I'm probably a couple of years older than that too. Like I was scared of thunderstorms, you know. So if there were storms at night, you know, and I would come into my parents' bedroom, can I sleep with you? Because I was I was scared. I didn't understand them, you know. But then that that uh, fear became fascination, and then uh, from that moment on, I, you know, I, I was just fascinated by storms and wanted to learn as much about them as possible. Um, nowadays, that's very easy. You can just Google YouTube and, and you know, and Google things and tornadoes and learn a lot. Um, so. Um, so I decided I wanted to be a meteorologist when I was a teenager, um, and then uh, I completed uh, my undergraduate at University of Georgia in March. Oh, you were just coming online. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you were just coming online then, so I got to see one presentation from you, and then I was off to Texas Tech for graduate school, which I, you mentioned that's where I um, uh, received my master's degree uh, in atmospheric sciences. Um, and thankfully, during that time there, I was able to participate in the Vortex Two project. Uh, for the 2009 and 10 seasons, uh, which as many meteorologists know, uh, was a um, scientific community-wide experiment to study tornadoes. So uh, I worked with the Texas Tech Stickneck team deploying instruments in front of supercells, trying to capture that mesocyclone and see exactly what's happening there. So um, I really had uh, a great time with that. I did some local TV um, in Lubbock, Texas, and then moved to CNN as a weather producer where I interned while I was also in college. And then uh, recently, as you know, just as the Weather Channel for the last eight and a half years, and then just for the last three weeks or so, uh, I've now moved on to IVHS. So um, it's it's been an interesting career so far. I have learned so much from so many around me. Um, I'm very grateful for those opportunities and the people that I have met along the way. Um, but now I get to see um, the disasters from the other side and hopefully try to help prevent them. So I'm really excited about what's next. And, and where are you on Twitter and social media? I know you're out there. Yeah, um, on Twitter, uh, you can find me at, at Sarah Dillingham. Um, that's probably the, the best way to find me. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram as well. Um, I can't remember my name on that one. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I never can remember. But, yeah, and, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter, though. JD, uh, give us a little bit about your background. Uh, I think like most meteorologists, you know, I, I grew up with weather events in my childhood that kind of shaped my my future there and growing up in metro atlanta during the time that i did which was the late 80s all the way through the 90s you know we had a, what we call the blizzard of 93 you know we had hurricane opal move through we had flooding from alberto uh you know we've had massive droughts uh, i remember at one point they were actually counting down to where the city of atlanta could run out of water because we hadn't gotten rain so you know growing up with all of these events kind of shaped me to want to become a meteorology so i went to georgia tech uh, graduated with a degree in earth and atmospheric sciences and then started my way into the broadcast field. And I, I did behind the scenes for, you know, CNN and CBS before moving on air and then bounced around, like I mentioned earlier. So started off in Macon, in Chattanooga and then New Orleans and then up to Minnesota and Minneapolis before coming back to Atlanta. So I, one of the things I wanted to do as a broadcaster was to get uh, a variety of different experiences. So, you know, I got the hurricane training down in New Orleans and I got the the winter weather in Minneapolis, along with the the polar vortex up there. And by the way, when you say it oozes in like molasses, that's what it feels like when you're outdoors and the wind chill is negative 45, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's just kind of, I, I want to experience as much as I can. And I think that's what's going to shape me going into the future as well, because there's still a lot of weather events I haven't seen that I still want to get to do. So, you know, that's, that's me. As for Twitter and Instagram, uh, it's, I would say it's easy because it's just my name. It's at Jason Disharoon, but Disharoon is not a common name, but yeah, uh, yeah, if exactly. you're trying to Josh, spell it, Josh, I promise are you, you out on Twitter or social media anywhere publicly? 
I am the worst Twitter follow of all time because I uh, I use Twitter to track down guests. Ah, okay. If you follow me, you'll just say, hey, I'm Josh from the Weather Channel. <laughs> well, very good. And, and on that note, uh, I want to thank each of you for um, coming on and reflecting on the year. Uh, it's been a tough year. I mean, meteorologically, some really strange, uh, anomalous, extreme things happened. But I never forget that these events impact people and their lives and their livelihoods and their families. And so on behalf of all of us, Weather Geeks and the Weather Channel, I mean, we really are, we, we're here, we hear you, we're with you. Um, you know, our thoughts are with you for anyone that has uh, experienced these tragedies and the Weather Channel's there uh, to keep you alerted of what's going on, to continue to tune in. I know all the folks there. Uh, in fact, I want to dedicate the, this Weather Geeks Geek of the Week to all the folks at the Weather Channel and collectively our Geek of the Week this week, because I know everyone there for the most part, and, and, and they're there to save lives and property and, and do right by you know, people that are watching them. So on behalf of uh, the Weather Geeks team, uh, Brian Kaczynski, are you on? Can you hear me? Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Brian here. Uh, why I can't don't you say hear you. Hello? Thank you, Mark. Yeah, Brian, he's someone that you don't often hear about, but he's another key part of the Weather Geeks team. So I just want them to come on and say hello and just thank you for what you've done for the for the year we've got plenty of good stuff coming for the podcast but we're wrapping up for the year so brian just say hello and tell, and tell people what you do for the, the the podcast here real quickly well thank you marshall my name is brian kaczynski i'm a post-production editor at the weather channel and uh my role in weather geeks is to record the show i do the editing uh, i publish the show uh, so whenever you hear it i've touched it that's correct. And we couldn't do it without um, Brian and, and, uh, and some of his other colleagues as well. Thank you all for listening. Uh, everyone have a happy holiday and a great 2022 uh, and continue to listen to us on Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.